This is part two of my interview with Lisa DeLorme, the co-founder of Rinse, Frock, Repeat. Let's go. Welcome back to the Biz Women Rock podcast. This is part two of my interview with Lisa DeLorme, the co-founder of Rent Frock Repeat. It is a Canadian-based company, uh, e-commerce company of dress rentals. So um, man, she already in part one has talked about so much about kind of their startup story and all of the great things that she had to do to really prepare the business for success. And, uh, and here we just continue to go into things like her experience with investors, why she has brought those on, um, and just how, what, how she's evolved as an entrepreneur, which again, I'm going to repeat this again, the last two minutes of this whole interview will just leave you walking on cloud nine and just feeling amazing because she's just a rock star, man. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it with Lisa. Dresses don't carry logos. Right. And so, so we started to recognize that really the names, the brand names that we're carrying were more from a trust and marketing perspective. Well, that I can, I can totally understand because somebody wants to make sure you're legit and that you're actually, you know what you're talking about. So, but one of the, it's really fascinating to me because as soon as you started opening showrooms, your entire business model changes because yep. all of a sudden you go from being accessible, like 100% accessible to everyone who can has access to the internet and can, you know, get something shipped to them to, yep. okay, now you've got this hungry group of people who are wanting to try stuff on, but now you're localized. They're limited to where your actual showrooms are. So you, you let yeah. me know that you have two showrooms now. You're about to open up a third one. How, like what percentage of women come to your website versus are going to the showrooms? I would say, well, it's really, if they could, let me answer the question in one way, which is if they could, 100% of them would want to come in and try on the dress. Let gotcha. me say 96, 97%. Again, just because it's usually an important, an important event, right? It's not like they're buying a pair of jeans and they're just wearing it to a weekend getaway or, right. you know, so A, the event's probably going to be pretty important. They want to look their best. B, they really want to ensure the fit is there. Some of them will, but here's what's interesting about it. So, so, but some can't. So I would say that, you know, like in the city of Toronto where we started our first showroom, I would say 95% came in. And here's what you don't realize after you open up the showroom is the difference was we did it by appointment. They spent an hour with their, their stylist. And what they're doing at that point is they're actually building their closet for future events. So they come in. I have this event, that's all they have in mind. Maybe it's a black tie gala, they definitely want a gown. We say when they come in, we're gonna find you that gown, but while you're here, you're gonna try on twenty other dresses. We're gonna save them to your wish list. You'll know what size works, what dresses, and then whenever you have your second or third event, now you don't need to come into the showroom every time. Oh, that's now so you can smart. literally log on to the site, yeah, and then you know have the dress shipped to you. And this is where I will say, and and it's you know I, I we've made a lot of mistakes. I'll continue to share those. But one of the things I think we did very well, and this is where you know raising fifty five million dollars can work against you, is sometimes with money you try to keep solving the problem of technology mm. instead of being creative and saying what do they want. Technology is not going to help them try on the dress. 
you know, I don't know how many times I've been, people have been in touch with me, that they've created the newest, you know, little, you know, um, application that you can put on the site where it gives you your doppelganger and your trying on dresses, you know, virtually. And, you know, you look at big retailers, how many people are using any of that technology? Yeah, and it's true. because it doesn't work. It's not because it doesn't work that it's just that women still feel like even if I see it, I still don't really trust that I have to put it on my body to make sure it's going to work. And so we had opened our first showroom in um, October of 2011. Rent the Runway had been open for two years before we did. It took them another year and a half to two years that they finally started opening up showrooms because I kept scratching my head and saying, what did we, what are we not figuring out? Like, why is it that they're able, is it their age group? Because we thought, well, maybe younger people are more willing to try, but that doesn't mean even if they're getting tons of rentals, that doesn't mean that they're not refunding everybody because of fit issues. That's true. Right? So you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but we're still like, God, are we the only ones that aren't getting this? And all I said to Christy was, hey, we're starting to make money. And we're starting to get people to repeat and we're starting. So maybe our model's got to change and we got to figure this out. They just raised another 55 million, like maybe four months ago, and they're opening 15 showrooms this year. Mm. So run the runway, even with all the money and came to the same conclusion that we did. And your customer is going to tell you that sometimes you need to literally either pick up the phone or interact with them or ask those questions that the website's not able to give you. Um, and it's finding that balance between the two. And, and our research has shown over the last three years that most people that did start off as a purely e-commerce company are now coming offline and finding that it's not just about fit for us. It's about you know, engaging with the brand. Us, it's about service, right? So people come in and they go, the service has been so impeccable that we've even recognized it's part of our marketing. 38% of our new members come from word of mouth. Wow. And it's because of the interaction they've had with us. So there's a piece of me that says, you know, you have to be careful because even as we brought on investors, most of them kind of look at it and right away the thought is overhead, employees, keeping right. costs down, e-commerce. Right. But sometimes that replaces your marketing and your returns and your, you know, um, bad, you know, just bad experience because they haven't had a chance to see you or maybe they're not trusting you because it's just e-commerce. We lag in Canada for e-commerce um, purchases. There's still a trust issue for some reason with credit cards, if you can believe it online. Yeah. Um, but those are the sort of things that I think, like, it's it's just you got to pay attention. And although it changed our model... And for us, Katie, it changed a lot. I mean, we had to change the site even from little things when you think about it. Now we have to give pick up and drop off as an option. Mm. When we, you know, it's little, little things, but that's, that's an update to the site that you have to make that's going to affect different things because when women are going through the checkout process at home, if they wanted to, they need to be able to say if they want to pick up and drop off rather than have something shipped to them. Right. It makes it easier for us because they're coming by. There's no worries about will it get there on time. It, the, the dress is out of the showroom for sure amount of time now it's not out on the road and we're not missing the inventory even coming back is faster so there's pluses to that too but then you have to make sure that the technology reflects that business model so that was a big change for us when we brought on the investors we were finally able to do those things that reflected now not just an e-commerce site but one that had um the blended or the showrooms as well. So it, it changes not only your model, but then all of a sudden you have to invest another 30, 40, 50 grand in making those those changes on the website. Right. I, I do yeah. want to talk about your transition into having investors now. But one, one thing I really want to point out that may not have been really heard there was the brilliance of how you're setting up kind of the culture of your 
uh, of your rooms of, you, you know, of people coming by and being able to try stuff on is that you're doing a one hour kind of consulting session with them. And here's mm-hmm. why that's important is because all it doesn't now turn into, oh, a store that I'm going to go browse and I may or may not walk out with something. It now turns right. into you're going to buy because you're coming in here, you're having an hour long, uh, you know, consultation that's totally dedicated to you. And yes, we're going to, you know, sort of fill your wish list with all of these sorts of things. Um, but it, it it sort of sets it up for there's no other option other than for you to walk out of here with at least one dress being rented and hopefully a whole, you know, sort of closet full of others that are on your wish list. I just I just wanted to point that out because that's that's brilliant and a very clear distinction between, oh, I want to just open up this boutique with another with our name on it. And now people can come in and browse and we're now retail, you know, so. Um, exactly. And it actually helps from a model perspective, even staffing, like the appointment ensures yeah. that we have the right staffing on board. You can see how what hours are getting filled up when people want to come to the store. Do you have to have more evening and weekend appointments? Their data, right? That's that's the, right. the nice thing about doing everything online and not just being, you know, a mom and pop shop down the road with a boutique and, you know, hoping that that walk by traffic is going to work or a couple of people are going to think about you. That's where the data collection really works if you're doing and you're really, really supporting it with that e-commerce piece. So ours, they go online, they book their appointment online, they fill out data, you know, from that perspective, are they bringing a friend or not? Will they be alone? And so that really helps you make that distinction, and you're right. By the time they walk through the door, and we even change, we're about to implement a new change, too, that even before they come in, we're sending them, you know, a survey that says, you know, in preparation for your appointment, please tell us a little bit more, you know, so we can be fully prepared. You know, when are you comfortable, what's the event, and what's the date of the event, you know, and we're just actually summarizing that it's a project we gave to our stylist in the last couple weeks of, you know, what sort of data would you need to know to make that experience for her amazing and then the other thing we have to think about is the showrooms are split so that means we do have dresses and styles that are on the site that might not be in the auto showroom they might be in Toronto Mm. so if we have a better sense of the woman that's coming in and what size and what event we can almost prepare and make sure that we have the right quote-unquote collection of dresses there for her and then that really ups because 90% of people that walk out of our showroom rent a dress during their appointment. And so the the 10% delta is what we're working on right now, and we're collecting that data. So the stylists, when they leave, say, you know, did they rent, yes or no? They they have have to collect data throughout, you know, and why not? Because it might be something like, you know, we didn't carry enough variety in her size. So right Mm -hmm. now we started, you know, bringing in a little bit on the plus side, but we don't have enough of a variety there to really support women. Or it might have been she was coming in and she's in a wedding and it had to be a powder blue dress with blah, 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 you know. So, but... It's you're getting. It's more important sometimes to know why they're not doing things versus what's going well. Right, right. Because then you can kind of plug in those holes. And you're right. That hour allows us to collect that stuff and make much more informed decisions. So now we will. Like I get people that say, you know, quite honest, and that's where you have to not pay attention and not have ego. We'll have women that go, God, you know, young girls, I hate the dresses on your site. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Yeah, and that's Um, when you have to say, well, the audience that we're after. Yeah, exactly. And that's why you Mm -hmm. have to totally separate yourself from it and be like, okay, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And sometimes I'm like, you're right. There's some dresses that I'm not crazy about for me personally, (laughs) but they look fantastic on some women that are coming 
coming in and that's what they're comfortable in and that's what they're looking for, you know? So, yeah, but you have to know who that market is. Mm -hmm. So let's go into why you decided to bring on investors. You did not start this company with investors. Uh, It was you and your partner really both put all the, you know, capital into building this business. Um, Mm -hmm. Why did you make the decision to bring on investors and what has, how has, what has that changed? Because I think that's a big fear of a lot of businesswomen is like, okay, if I don't, you know, basically, if I start everything with my own money, it's mine, it's my baby, I don't want to give up, uh, you know, percentage of ownership, I don't want somebody else Mm -hmm. telling me what to do. But I need that capital in order to really grow. So why did you guys make that decision? And what has it really, truly changed for you? Well, the first thing I say is we knew just doing our business and financial plan, we were, we were very real with ourselves that, you know, if we had to grow the company, sometimes there are just some models, whether it's, you know, product-based companies, if it's not a service-based company, where you need kind of like a, a baseline amount to even have a chance to do it, yeah. you know? So, you know, so you, when you're calculating that and you're really being true, I remember reading this about, you know, two years before we started started the company, um, that, you know, forecast your revenue, cut it in half and then cut it in half again, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're, you know, you're painting the picture. You want best case scenario if everything goes in the right direction. And so, you know, and then the second thing to do is take your expenses and double it. <laughs> and so, yep. and it's been, it's become almost like not just a saying, but proven that yeah. that's sort of where we have to go in order to get to the right place of where things are going to happen and how long it's going to take. You know, the rent, the runways, and we look at them and they're, they, they seem like overnight successes. And, and in a lot of ways they are, but in a lot of ways too, they have their challenges. Now think of the other thousand companies you didn't hear about right. that are slow, steady growth and they're going to make it. And the average company really hits their strides between years five and seven. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to read, don't read the, the, the stories in the newspaper or the press read statistical data about businesses and what it takes to get there because that's truly where you're going to be. And so we looked at it and said there is a baseline of what this is going to cost us to actually get going and it's probably closer to the one and a half to two million dollars in Canada. Mm -hmm. But that's really what we probably need to be able to give ourselves enough runway because straight off out the gate you might not make enough cash flow to cover all your expenses and grow the company. Mm -hmm. And for us, we knew that dresses and and the, the purchasing of those dresses was going to be something we got, you had to do. We, we weren't a service business. If somebody didn't come, we still have to have dresses there, you know, when they showed up. So mm-hmm. when we did that, we knew we didn't have that full amount, but we also knew that, you know, A, and not playing just the woman card, but two, two women in Canada, where there's not as much as an investment community as there is in the U.S., that didn't have a background in e-commerce or fashion, <laughs> we thought... Mm, chances of investment coming on right from the beginning is probably not going to happen. You need to prove you yourselves know, we, first. We, so, sorry? You need to prove yourselves first. Exactly. Yeah. We were sort of unknowns, you know, so it wasn't a woe was to me. It's just like, well, would, would we invest in us if we didn't know us? Right. You know, we didn't know our capabilities. Like, let's be real about what we're positioning here. And so we said, okay, well, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to start it and show traction. So do we have enough money to do that? Um, and so that, that's what we ended up doing. And then we started. So the thought was always to bring on investors and for a couple of reasons. One, it's beyond money, but you need money to succeed in some areas. Again, this doesn't apply straight across the board. It depends on what your business is, if it's service or product. And then once, you know, when we looked at it, it was beyond just money. It was that 
we are just me and Christy. We can't know everything about everything. And, you know, bringing on investors that really, really believed in the business and would, you know, support us from a, a knowledge, from a resource, from a connection standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, um, if we needed certain things, uh, their strength in numbers. And we also felt that for us, we were ready to give up the percentage because where we wanted to grow to that revenue growth um, there would be enough for everybody, yeah. you know, like we didn't have to hold on to if we sold the company down the road for, you know, $40 million. Christy and I both looked at it and said, you know, we're not looking on looking to hold on to every last cent of that. We need help to grow the company and we're willing to share the proceeds. And you know what, if we're doing a good job, they're not going to want to run the company. And I think that's falsehood. It's really, it's like a boss. You have some bosses that are great and you have some bosses that aren't. Yeah. And when you're looking for investors, you have to look for those that are going to look at it and say, you know, this business a lot better than I do. I'm here as an advisor if you need me, but I'm not looking to run your, your business. If they are, they're the wrong investors. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So, so that was part of the decision process, but it took us three and a half years to raise the money. We were successful and we're very proud that we got to that point because really, again, you know, statistically, we shouldn't be raising that money, you know, when you look at our profile and background. Right. Um, and it actually came from a customer. That's how it all started. Really? So our, our lead investor was a customer. That mm-hmm. is awesome. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. who better? I mean, because there's somebody yep. who, you know, actually, you're not the first person I've talked to. I just spoke to another uh, person the other day who said, yeah, one of his major investors was a customer because he fell in love with the product. And, you know, yep. of course, it makes perfect sense. Um, yep. You know, along, Lisa, along this road, I mean, it's just it has been a really progressive, constantly evolving business for you. What, what's mm-hmm. been one of the most challenging things that you've had to deal with as a businesswoman? Um, I, I think one of the most, hmm, hmm, you know, it's, it's funny because it's, um, I always get stumped with this question because I think there's a piece of you that as an, as a, an entrepreneur, there's a piece of you have, that has to get up. And when you see a problem that your automatic thought is, okay, how do I solve this? Right. So there's been challenges like I you know whoever's listening my god there's been challenges there's been days where I sat at the table before we we raised the money and I sat with Christy and said we might have to get part-time jobs like you know like because because we were looking at and again that's everybody's I sat with somebody for dinner last night that wanted to pick my brain and you know should I quit my job should I not and I said that like they're not related starting your own company and whether or not I should quit my job but the only thing that's that has to answer that question is what do you need every month to survive? Right. And in some cases, some people have a partner that can help with that. Yep. And others, some people don't. In others, they might live at their mom and dad's and so that, that they don't have to worry about those things. That mm-hmm. That's so not related to starting your own business. That's just, what do you need to survive and can the company pay you that? You know, and Christy and I kept investing back in the company and, you know, it was literally shoestring and saying, okay, do we have enough to cover those bills this month? And, right. you know, because we knew we were going to be short. We knew that eyes wide open, we knew we'd be short to begin with until we raised the money and it was the risk we took. So I'd say that was probably the biggest challenge, but I think that sometimes you have to have that attitude that when I'd sit with Christy and say, I think we might have to get a job, you know, I'd say, okay, let's let's cry for 24 hours, you know, eat chocolate, watch Netflix, and then tomorrow <laughs> we get up and we just, you know, <laughs> my sister always says to me, you put a time limit on feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Which you like, should. I like yeah. me. I'm the exact same way. Because, and actually, most businesswomen that I've talked to work very similarly. They're like, look, 
I am going to emote. I need to kind of like live in this like disappointment and frustration and pissed offness or whatever this yep. is in this moment. And then I'll get beyond it. Let me feel it. And then let me move on and come up with a solution. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's what I love about women. Like we, we get that. I think we're beyond the fact that we, some people think they're not supposed to feel that, right? I yeah. should never get sad. Or if I was doing everything right, I wouldn't get to this point or that there won't challenge. I think it's recognizing that, oh my God, that's so part of the process. Yeah. It's whether or not that's going to stay there for a week and make you quit. Or are you going to embrace it and kind of go, everybody goes through this. What do I need tomorrow morning to get to that next spot? And sometimes it might have even been for us, okay, if this doesn't happen by next week, we start looking for work, yeah. right? Like where we're still running the company, but we're, you know, getting this little minimum amount coming in. And we just got, for it was fortunate for us that we never did. Like it just seemed like, you know, when we were just, but we kept the faith, you know, maybe somebody would have quit before that. So I pat us on the back for keeping the faith and then just finally getting to that day and going, oh my God, I can't believe that came in or this <laughs> happened and you know so it was almost like you know that the stars would align in some ways but we were part of aligning those stars too by saying let's get up and keep going and let's make a call and maybe this is the solution and and I will even say here's one thing that we came to that was a challenge and then we had to look at it in a different way so the challenge was how do we buy more dresses when we don't have any more money we need more money. That's yeah. what we thought the problem was, right? right? We're out of money. We don't have the investors. You know, fall's coming. We're supposed to show a new collection. What do we do? And so we were focusing on the wrong question. So we kept questioning, where do we get more money? And the question should have been, where do we get more dresses? Yeah. And so we ended up working with a lot of, we have Toronto Fashion Week. We have a lot of great Canadian designers that don't get in, enough international press because we're such a small country. And for them to get traction, it's a little bit more challenging. So we met with them and said, look it, at this point we had something like 45,000 members on the site, which was pretty big for Canadian market. Wow, yeah. We have this great, you know, market across the country that we could tell these people about your designs and what you're doing. And we started working on a consignment basis and said, you know, give us the dresses. We'll give you 50% of the rental. Once we hit your wholesale costs, we own the dress. But in the meantime, think of that as an investment of we're boring the dresses but it's marketing. You're getting your own, you know, designer site uh, page on the site. Mm. We'll do the following through social media. We'll introduce you to the market. And so we had people coming on board and that made us think in a very creative way. And, and what was great about that is it also less, let us test stuff that maybe we wouldn't have bought. Right. That told us, you know, things that you know, we put on the site and it was a little bit of testing, but it allowed us to refresh things. They loved the support and there was a solution without the money. But that was challenges that we had, and we had to think really creatively. And that's where I say sometimes money kills the creativity, because if we'd had the money back then, we probably just would have bought more dresses. Right. I love that. That's a, such a great mm -hmm. example. Um, I want to conclude by asking you um, how you've evolved as an entrepreneur, because, I mean, it's not like you were green. You definitely had a lot of business experience before you mm -hmm. came into this. So did your partner. But being, you know, being an entrepreneur is a very different experience than working in corporate. How, throughout these years, how do you think that you have really um, evolved as an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. I, I think for me, the biggest change that happened was back to the beginning of why am I doing this and why did I want to quit the last job? And, you know, so I think sometimes when you attain certain things that you thought would be the answer, whether it be, you know, a certain financial milestone that you're trying to get to, a certain title that you're trying to get to. And for a while, in my 20s and 30s, that's that's what the focus was. When I became an entrepreneur, the, the, back, the business background I had was super helpful. I will say there was a lot of things that I was able to bring to the table that wasn't a learning curve and a 
allowed me to focus on the business. But I think there was a piece of me that was still, you know, still not feeling, even though I was the CEO, still not feeling that way. And even looking at, you know, when the investors came on a year ago, thinking it's almost like they were my new CEO. You know, it was almost like I felt almost like a reporting um like I, I still like I reported to somebody now, mm-hmm. you know, and what I came to understand was these were all entrepreneurs in their own right. And what they were looking for is people to run the business, which I always did. But it was just more of a mindset that I think what's happened for me is I've realized a not everybody knows the answer. Even when you look at people that are running very, very like amazing companies that, you know, that Sometimes it's not always about going some to somebody else. It's recognizing, I, I may not have the answer for this, but neither does anybody else. And the idea is that I need to start reaching out and, and asking more questions and looking for people that have that expertise and people are wanting to help and willing to help. And it's been a freedom. There's been a freedom in knowing that I don't know it all. Right. And it's made me sort of the same way in life generally to just kind of go, this isn't about knowing, it's about going through the day, learning, taking that information, and what do you want to do with that, and how do you create something else down the road, but it just, it, 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 there's been a freedom. I think when it's not been focused on money, and it's not been focused on finding the right answer, and it's been focused on going through the experience and recognizing, this is why I'm doing it, because if, fast forward five years down the road, this fails, and I'll have to face that day, and that'll be my 24-hour Netflix chocolate binge. <laughs> you might give I'll yourself be... 48 hours for that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That'll be disappointing, but I have to remember why I'm doing this, right. which has been the biggest change in me that before it, I don't want to fall back into that trap that I did when I was in corporate and why I left. Right. That it was, there's really a freedom in knowing what's the worst case scenario. And for me, and this is the question that people have told me has been the most helpful when we've had some exchanges is I've looked at it and said, what's the worst case scenario? Mm. The worst case scenario is I live in a bachelor apartment, you know, with two dogs <laughs> and I'm on the back end of having tried something. Can I live there? And compare that to what the worst case scenario is if I don't do it. And the worst case scenario is if I don't do it, for me personally, it was, I'll be really disappointed that I didn't try. And I couldn't imagine working at that same corporation for the next 20 years and never learning anything and getting up every morning and just going through a routine. But you have to remember those things on your worst days. You know, you have to remember why you left, because I'll tell you, there's times Christy and I looked at each other and said, why did we leave again (laughs) (laughs) when the money didn't come in? But I'd be like, let's really stop and think about that, because then you start to romanticize that other piece. I think the entrepreneur in me, you know, the way it's evolved is we're all there, whether you work for a corporation or not, everybody's taking this chance. You could lose your job tomorrow. You could get the promotion. You know, you could sell your company for a big exit, but that's not it. It's about what you're experiencing every day. And, and it's really let the fear go that I'm not sitting there at night worrying about things. I'm just trying to create. So it's been good for me personally and not like as, as the entrepreneur, not just entrepreneurship. Right. Yeah. Mm. Lisa, this has truly been such a pleasure chatting with you. I really want to thank you so much on behalf of the entire Biz Women Rock community. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, thanks for allowing me to do it. And I hope it's helpful. I know I'll continue to listen for everybody else's journeys as well because we have a lot to learn from each other. And I appreciate the opportunity. Holy cow, did that 
interview not just blow your mind? Like, was Lisa not just amazing? Like, she, here's what I was so blown away by. I was so blown away by how much research she did. Uh, from formal research to informal research to just whatever she could do to know her market so that she knew how to steer her company, I thought was brilliant. I've never seen on this show such an obvious example of someone who really knows their market, um, who is doing the work to know their market, even though it might be completely against you know, what you want uh, the answers to be. Uh, you know, she wanted the answers to be that, you know, her her market was a young market and those were the people who were going to buy. But that's not what her market research told her. So, you know, knowing your market and being able to take that data and and make business decisions on it is brilliant. So I really appreciated that. Um, and again, I mean, just that her she just gathered data in every manner possible and she still continues to gather data. So the question is, is what ways can you gather data in your business, and this doesn't have to be a formal survey, it doesn't have to be formal, whatever. I mean, it really can just be as basic as you talking to your customer and learning more about them, but keeping notes on that and finding trends and, and being able to take this information and really do something with it. So just overall, was totally mind blown by her. Um, I hope you really got something out of it. More than anything, I hope you're walking away from this interview just feeling totally energized and that you can do anything. So that's the way I feel right now. So I'm hoping that you have a little bit of that in you right now because you can. I hope you have an amazing day and I can't wait to see you on the next episode.